Union Station, the center of transportation here in Montgomery for many years. Think of all that's come in and out of this city on these tracks. But I'm reminded there was another railroad through Alabama at one time. Not a visible train track, but an underground railroad. A series of safe houses from the deep south to the far north where an escaped slave just might, if she were lucky, make her way to freedom. Let's be honest. Those weren't the last desperate flights to or from this town. If we walked next door to the bus station, if we could stop any car headed down I-65, we might find someone with a story, someone on the run, someone desperately looking for hope, for safety, for a new start. Maybe at some point that's been your story. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23, we read how after the wise men from the east visited the childhood home of Jesus, Joseph received a warning. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. The angel wasn't wrong. Herod is violently paranoid about this supposed new king who has been born, and he commits an unthinkable act of genocide murdering every child under two in a whole region. And there is so much weeping. Jesus barely escapes. After Herod died, the text says, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. But even after Joseph returns, he's afraid to go where Herod's son is in charge. So he moves to a village up north around the lake called Nazareth. It seems like from the very beginning of his story, Jesus knows what it's like to be on the run, in fear of his life, hunted down. But Matthew also tells us twice that this was all part of God's great mysterious plan. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. And again, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. We don't always understand all the bus stops and train stations that become part of our journey. But in the story of Jesus, maybe it's all heading somewhere. Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Thank you so much for being here. I also want to say welcome to all of you who are watching online or on television, especially if you're a guest with us today. For those of you in the room, would you please give a big hand to all of our TV and online audience. Thank you. Each week throughout this series, we are praying for another church in our river region. One of the things that we want to uh, keep before us as we're going through the Gospel of Matthew is that the kingdom is so much bigger than us, and we believe that God is doing amazing things through amazing churches in our land. Today we're going to be praying for St. Bede, the Venerable Catholic Church, and Father Alex, wait for it, Valladeras. Hopefully that is close. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this room. I thank you for what you're doing in this region. I thank you for what you're doing in our land. Lord, you are stirring, awakening again. Lord, we thank you for St. Bede, and we pray your blessings on them. Lord, we pray that you would be with their members and keep them safe. Be with their leaders as they navigate this pandemic. It's so hard some days. Lord, we pray that you would be with Father Alex, that you would bless him, Lord, and inspire him as he leads your people. And Lord, would you be with us now, right here in this moment. 
Lord, I'm so thankful that you're the one that orders the universe, and yet you're present with us right here, right now. Lord, we ask your kingdom, that your kingdom would come at Fraser as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 We pick up our story this week in Matthew chapter 2, really where we left off last week. Last week we talked about the Magi and this quest that they had to come and kneel before the newborn king and to worship him. As we pick up the story in verse 13, we see that the Magi, the wise men, the scholars, the kings, they've, they have gone, they've made, are making their way back home when God's angel once again appears to Joseph in a dream and he tells him to get up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And he tells them uh, to stay there until further notice. You stay there until I command you to come back. And he tells him that Herod is on the hunt for the child and he wants to kill him. Right here we, we see God showing up in this moment once again to Joseph and giving him direction. He's already shown up and, and, and given Joseph direction with all the confusion surrounding Mary's pregnancy and, and now he shows up again. But he shows up at a moment when it seems like everything's going okay. It seems like things are kind of settling in. Jesus is now here and everybody seems to be healthy and doing good and all of a sudden God speaks and he says I want you to go to what seems like this unlikely place I want you to go to Egypt now when when God just kind of appears and says I, I want you to go to a, another country and you you just stay there until I tell you when it's safe to come back. Th those are the moments where if I'm Joseph, I'm going, hang on a second, God. Can we talk about this? You know, just pack everything up, go to a completely different country, and then just wait. You know, God, can we come up with a plan, maybe a travel guide here? In fact, God, um, while you're making this plan, could you please consult me about it? along the way. I'd like a say in, in what's going on. Now, that probably would have been my response. Okay, Lord, we, we, uh, I need you to help me understand what's going on here. Notice that's not Joseph's response. In verse 14, it tells us that, once again, simply, Joseph obeyed. God spoke. Joseph obeyed. He got up. He took the child and his mother under the cover of darkness. And as they were Going along the way, they made their way to Egypt. It tells us that they lived in Egypt until Herod's death. And this Egyptian exile fulfilled what Hosea had preached about so long ago when God said, I called my son out of Egypt. Now verses 16 through 18 tell us that Herod, he finally catches on to what's happening. He realizes that the magi, the wise men, the scholars, the, the, the kings, they, they're gone. They're not coming back to him. And he just flies into a rage. And he commands that the murder of every boy under the age of two happen. Both in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas. And again, we talked last week about how knowing Herod and his personality, as we talked about it last week, we could see that this is something that he would definitely do, and this was a dark day, a dark day in Bethlehem. And just as I said that the, 
genealogy of Jesus is not a sanitized genealogy. This is not a sanitized story. We see very real evil take place here. But I want to pick up on this theme. This idea that Joseph and Mary and Jesus, they had to go into exile, if you will, in Egypt. And I think we have to understand Egypt. Egypt is a powerful part of the story of God. Egypt, as seen in the Bible, is is used many times as a metaphor or figuratively to represent something beyond just the country itself. And in fact, the country of Egypt that we know of today is not the same Egypt of the first century or of the Old Testament for that matter. But whenever we think about Egypt, Egypt represents some very powerful moves of God for us, even us as the people of God. When we think about Egypt, we think about pharaohs and slavery and Moses and plagues and Red Sea and deliverance and Jordan River and wandering in the wilderness and eventually the story of the people of Israel making it to the promised land. Egypt in many places in the Bible, as it is used, is, well, it's used to describe the anti-kingdom of God. I mean, just think about it. Just think about it. In Egypt, there is a pharaoh, a man who wants to be a god. In the kingdom, it's opposite. In the kingdom, there is a god who becomes a man. In Egypt, there is pharaoh who wants everyone and everything to serve him. It's all about him. In the kingdom, it's so different. Jesus came from heaven to earth to serve others. In Egypt, there is bondage and chains, and in the kingdom, chains are broken. In Egypt, there is work and labor, all for one person's ego. Pharaoh loved big spectacles that showed him off. In the kingdom, it's so different. We find that in rest and restoration and God's renewing work in our life, that's when he actually receives the most glory. In our story today, we see that God uses Egypt as he has done in the past. God uses Egypt, this what seems to be an unlikely place, as as a haven for the Holy Family. Now, God was doing this in other people's lives as well. Some historians have pointed out that upwards of a million Jews lived in Alexandria at the time of Joseph and Mary and Jesus making their way into Egypt. God was doing this in other people's lives at the same time. But there's this interesting relationship that I want us to talk about for just a second. If we can pan out from this story for just a moment, there's this interesting relationship between Jesus and Israel and Egypt. It's through the storyline of Jesus' life that we see that Jesus is the true Messiah, and he is, if you will, living out the story of Israel. I mentioned a few weeks ago that in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, it, it is retelling Israel's story from the promises made to Abraham through the line of David into exile, and then ultimately with the Messiah coming. It was the people of God, if you think about it, Israel, who fled into Egypt during a time of famine in the book of Genesis, only to be forced into slavery out of Pharaoh's fear of them becoming too numerous or too influential. It was Jesus and his family who had to flee to Egypt as well, away from the tyranny of the first century Pharaoh, which was Herod, out of his fear and insecurity. While Israel found themselves crossing sea and rivers to find freedom, it was Jesus who crossed sea and rivers to bring freedom. It was Jesus who went to the place of exile and Passover in Egypt. 
only to emerge as the one to bring deliverance and be the Passover lamb for us. One point that Matthew is making here is that Jesus is reliving Israel's story, except this time, this time, it's going to come to a redemptive end. Now, before we get ahead of ourselves, though, I want to focus in on the significance of Egypt and exile. Egypt reminds us that, well, God's purposes can be worked out at any time and in any place. And I think for us as people, for us as a country, if we need any message, it is that one. God can still work His purposes through political changes, pandemics, and at the same time, your personal pain. And one of the things that's very important is not just that we understand Egypt and kind of what it represents and exile and what it represents throughout the Scripture narrative. We need to understand our own Egypt and exile as well because Pharaoh is still around. He just looks different. Bondage is still very real. Just many times the chains look different. And while Egypt and Pharaoh and bondage is, is very much still a part of our world at the same time, well, so is God. So is God. And God can use these times when we feel like we're traveling through our Egypt or we're in our exile. He can use these as rites of passage to get us to our promised land. Oh, we don't like it. We, we don't like being in a foreign place or a place that's foreign to us. We don't like being somewhere in life where, well, we never intended to be there. But God can use those moments in powerful ways. And yes, Egypt in many ways represents a place of brokenness, a place of loneliness, a place where we cry out and we search for a God who can save us. Yes, but God can still work. And when we find ourselves in those places where, where we feel like we're walking through our own personal Egypt, or we feel like we're in our own personal exile, it's in those places where we learn a very important lesson. It's in those places where we learn that there is no such thing as bigger than God. And there is no such place where God cannot work in powerful ways. No such thing. A dear friend of mine went through his Egypt, his period of exile a few years ago. I've never really seen a person lose so much so fast in life. Never seen it. In every way, he was bankrupt. After spending years serving our country overseas, he came back to his second marriage that was crumbling. And he found himself in a very dark place, Mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, and even spiritually, completely bankrupt. A few years and a few mistakes later, I saw that same man emerge out of that Egypt, out of that exile, and his faith was on solid ground and firmer than I've also ever seen it in another person. Well, I've never seen a person's life crumble as fast as I watched his life crumble. I've also, after he traveled through his Egyptian period or his exile 
time, I've never seen someone emerge with such a firm faith. And he got through to the other side. That's what I say is Egypt, exile, whenever we walk through them, it can teach us that there is nothing bigger than God. Now, I wish I could tell you that life would never get hard. I wish I could tell you that you're always going to get your way in life. I wish I could tell you that you're going to live long, happy, healthy years. But the truth is, is that all of us, in one way or another, we experience times of exile and times in Egypt. And it's in those moments when we dig deep and we look up, we realize that, yes, God can get us through this one as well. This is what the psalmist said in Psalm 147, verses 3 and 5. It says that God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. The very next sentence, he determines the number of stars and he gives them their names. God is great and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. What I love about that verse is it says the same God who heals our broken hearts, the same God who binds up our wounds, is the exact same God who puts the stars in the sky. And just as he can do that with stars and name every single one of them, he can also step into our lives and heal our wounds. He's that big. He's that big. God can do things that we cannot even begin to fathom. This is what Job said in Job 37 verse 5. He said, God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things we cannot comprehend. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 32, 27, God says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Anything? Is your exile, your Egypt wandering too hard for God? And the answer is no. Oh, no. Back to our story. All of this is happening. Herod is throwing a tyrannical temper tantrum, and children, children, are dying. And the Savior of the world has to flee on God's direction to a completely different country. And in this moment, it looks like the divine plan is lost. Think about it. Israel's Messiah is now having to flee Israel. Right when it looked like everything was settled, the, the king was here, now he has to abruptly leave. God says to Joseph and Mary, I want you to take Jesus, I want you to go to Egypt. But here's what God is saying. God is saying, I want you to go to Egypt, and I, want you to, I just want you to rest for a minute. I want you to rest while I handle this, i.e., handle Herod. And that's exactly what they did. But you know, Joseph and Mary, they had to learn, just like you and I have to learn, that there is no such thing bigger than God. Even in those moments when it seems like we're on the run, even in those moments when it seems like we're walking through exile, we find ourselves in a foreign place or a foreign land, even in those moments when nothing seems to be going right, it's precisely in those moments where we need to take a deep breath and realize that God can handle this one too. I wonder how many times Joseph and Mary stayed up late in Egypt and thought, God, I could really use some help right now. I wonder how many times they prayed. How many times did they hold the Messiah, the promised one, in their hands and ask questions like, why, how, when? Why am I going through this? You ever ask that one? Why am I here? 
How will we ever get out of this? Have you ever asked that one? How about when? When will this be over? I'm sure they ask all those questions while they were living in Egypt. But God gave an answer. You see in verse 19 and 20, the text says, Later, later when Herod died. Notice that word later. Later. I don't know how much time lapsed between Joseph and Mary and Jesus' arrival in Egypt and later. I don't know how much was there, but their answer to the prayers they were praying came later. Now, I don't like later on answers, do you? Those moments when you're praying, you say, God, I need some direction here. I need some resolution here. And God says, later, later. Later on, you'll understand. Later on, you'll see. Later. Later, when Herod died, God's angel appeared in a dream to Joseph again. This time, he's in Egypt. Notice, God's angel has appeared to Joseph around the confusion surrounding Mary's pregnancy and brought peace and comfort and direction. It seemed like everything was going good in Joseph's life, and God's angel shows up and gives him direction there, and now he's in Egypt, and he shows up again. God can reach us wherever we are, and Joseph tells us that. He comes to him in a dream in Egypt, and he says, I want you to get up, take, a, take the child and his mother, and return to Israel. Return. And I love how Joseph responds. Once again, Joseph does the exact same thing. The text tells us, Joseph obeyed. I believe that there are moments while Joseph is in Egypt where he's not getting the answers that he wants. But Joseph lived as a person always ready to receive the answer when God would give it. And the text says, Joseph obeyed. He got up, took the child and his mother, and he re-entered Israel. When he heard that Herod's son had taken over as king of Judea, he was afraid. But then Joseph was directed in a dream again. Again, directed in, notice God has guided Joseph in the confusion about Mary's pregnancy. He's guided Joseph when everything seems to be going okay. He's guided Joseph in Egypt, and now as he's on his way back to settle back in Israel, God is guiding him again because God is with us every step of the way, and no situation is too big for God. So Joseph was directed in a dream to go to the hills of Galilee. On arrival, he settled in the village of Nazareth. This move was to fulfill what the prophet had said when he said, He shall be called, the Messiah will be called a Nazarene. What looked like, when it looked like the plan was disrupted for God's Messiah to come into the world, what looked like exile in Egypt for a period of time, actually God worked it all out to get Jesus right where he wanted him to be. Not raised in Bethlehem where he was born, but in Nazareth. To get back to that place. Nazareth. 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 What an interesting name. It comes from the Hebrew word netzer. Nazareth. It means a shoot. You cut down a tree and there's a stump. And then a sapling begins to shoot, begins to grow out. God was saying, that's who the Messiah is going to be. When things look like they're dead, they're cut off. Oh, God brings growth. 
even in those moments. If we were to rewind 700 years and go back to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 11, we would read these words. Isaiah 11, starting in verse 1, a shoot will come up out of the stump of Jesse. The stump, what's left of his family line. And his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. And it goes on to say all these things that he will do and accomplish as Messiah. Nazareth, Netzer. The Netzer was a promise of hope that one would come. Even when everything looks dead, God will do something new and amazing. And what this is telling us, even Isaiah was telling us so long ago, was that Jesus is the hope that we need for the exile we have. Anytime we find ourselves in moments or periods of time of exile or wandering in Egypt, anytime we feel lost in life, anytime we feel forgotten in life, anytime those moments when life seems to not be going right, it's in those moments and especially in those moments that we still have hope. We still have hope. Remember I told you about my friend? I've never seen anybody have their life crumble so fast right in front of me. When we were, he was going through those dark days, we had many, many conversations. Rarely a day went by when we did not talk on the phone. I remember him saying to me, Chris, I don't even know what I believe anymore. I have no idea. I have no idea what I, what I think about the church, what I think about life. He said, the only thing I know, the only thing I know is that my hope is in Jesus. He said, that's all I know. And he said, I don't even know what all that means. But all I know is that my hope is in Jesus. And every time he would say that, I would reply the same way. I just simply say, if, if all your hope's in Jesus, that's all the help you need. He will get you through this, even this. It may look like for you, Egypt, today. It may. But because there's nothing and no one bigger than God, there's always hope. And my prayer for you is that as you walk through those moments of exile in your own life, that God reveals in powerful ways that He's so much bigger and He will get you through what you're going through. Just as he guided Joseph every step of the way, he would give the word. Joseph would obey. When we do the same and walk in God's will, that tells us that exile, that Egypt, is never the final destination. And he will get, it, get us through it. I believe for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, we must see every detour that we experience in life as an opportunity for God to once again show us and demonstrate his saving power in our life. Most of the time when we talk about salvation, we talk about it in terms of going to heaven. The truth is we need God's saving power every single day. I don't know what you need saving from today. But I know who can do the saving. 
Amen. Father, I thank you that right now as we sit in this place, as we watch online and on television, that there are some of us, we, we feel like we're living in dark days. We're in our own personal Egypt and exile. And Lord, these are tough moments. But Father, I pray for those who feel like they're there right now. Lord, I pray that in these moments that you would shine brightly, that we would take a deep breath and remember there's nothing and no one and no situation bigger than you. And Lord, would you stretch out your mighty hand and do mighty things. And Lord, when you get us through our Egypts and our exiles, I pray that we would pause for just a moment, look to you and say thank you. You did it again. And so, Lord, would you do it again today? I pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said...